We're going to the book of Exodus tonight, chapter 24, Exodus 24, if you would please, and uh, verse number 12. I'm so thankful for what God is doing uh, in this church. I was reflecting uh, this week about um, the weekend and all that transpired here on Easter weekend from prayer meeting on Thursday night that was absolutely insane to Passover service and communion on Friday night there was such a rich presence of God here and it carried through the weekend and Sunday morning was powerful came in here on Sunday night and you people locked in with God and man this altar was on fire amen you just difference in people Matt you just look different there's a glow on you God was doing great things amen it was so powerful thank you for being a church that responds to the Holy Ghost amen Exodus 24 and verse number 12 if you would please if you're there say amen and the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there. And I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. The Lord said, I'm going to give you the law that I have written and you're going to teach them I understand we call it Mosaic law but the Lord said this is my law that I wrote we don't call it Mosaic law because Moses wrote it we call it that because he taught it he received it from the Lord but all of this transpired in the mountain and I want I want to preach to you tonight something that to my knowledge I've never even noticed it in this context, nor have I preached at all. But he said to Moses, come up to me into the mount and be there. Everybody say, be there. there. I want to preach to you tonight, if I may, from this simple subject, the power of being present. The power of being present. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Deuteronomy 24 and 12 is the beginning of great things as God is speaking to his servant Moses. And there's something so interesting. I, I, I know how people view God. I had this conversation again with somebody the other day that God is so high and lofty and there's no way you can get to him and he's just up there doing his deal and we're down here doing ours and he don't really care what's going on. I'm not real sure we can ever grasp what happened in this invitation when the Lord said to Moses, come up to me. Well, how, how, how rude is that, that God would expect man to come? No, I, I want you to understand the power of this invitation. God is saying to a lowly man, come up to me. 
I'm giving you an opportunity to allow divinity and humanity to connect in a way that could not happen if I did not love you so much. I want you to come up here and let me invest something in you that came directly from my heart as it were. I'm going to speak some things into you. We're going to write some of them down. We're going to write 10 of them down with my finger and you're going to carry them down off of this mountain. But these are the laws that I have written. Moses, I want to show you things that until this point, really only angels have had access to see and only in pieces because I've held them for you. These are things that transpired in heavenly places. Somebody say high places. He said, so I want you as a man to come up into this mountain and get as high as you can get. I want you to find the highest place that you can walk as a man and come to me. I want to tell you that we know tonight that he is the God of the valley. We know that he's the God of dark times. We know he's a God of bad times. But he is also a God that invites us when we're in the valley to come up a little bit higher And let me invest some heavenly things in you. There is power in prayer. There is power in communion with God. And to me this verse, this chapter, this whole narrative is a beautiful picture of ascending the mount of prayer. How it is that God communicates with us in prayer. It is prayer from an earthly perspective that invites deity into where we are. And it's deity inviting us To where he is through the power of prayer. And as we speak to him and we pray to him. The mysteries of heaven are revealed to us that can't be revealed any other way. You're looking at a man tonight who believes in the power of prayer. But prayer is always an ascent. Prayer is always climbing into a higher place with God. Prayer is something that leads us to higher heights with God. It's the only way that God can reveal his heart to us is in communication. But the Lord is inviting Moses to come. Now stay with me in this logic. I've never ever noticed it in this fashion. I wish someone would give me a dollar for every time I've read this chapter in my lifetime. And I've never really noticed this. It, it honestly, to me, as, as I began to read it, you know, I was like, Lord, that's kind of, it's kind of monotonous and, and there's like, it, it's almost like uh, you're repeating yourself for no reason. Because he said to him, he said, uh, come up to me in the mount. And then he said this, and be there. Come up into the mount and be there. Well, if you're just reading this, it's like the Lord says, come on up. I want you to be there. This is your appointment. Come on up and be there. But the context of this is so much deeper than I think what we realize at first glance. The Lord said, I'm inviting you to the mountain. And I want you to be there. Insinuating, and please don't miss this or you'll miss the rest of the night. Insinuating that it's possible To be somewhere but not be present. 
I'm inviting you to the mountain, but just because you are physically there does not mean you are present. He said, I'm calling you to the mountain, and I want you to be there. I'm calling you to communion, and I want you to be there. But Lord, what will I do with these millions of people? You're going to come be with me. But what about all my obligations? I want you to be there. But Lord, what about my schedule that I have to keep? I want you to be there. I want to tell you tonight that prayer without being there is not really prayer. You can walk into a prayer meeting with the expectation that you're going to spend time with God. And I'm going to get real with you for a few minutes. But you can, people leave you alone, won't bother you, quiet time, all is well until you get down on your knees. And then your phone starts going off. You open up your Bible, start to read. Pating, pating, pating. Phone starts going off. Trying to pray in a dark room, and your phone lights up. Looks like the sun came up. So what do you do? You get up and you walk. If you left your phone sitting somewhere else. Boy, that was quiet. That was so quiet, I think you could hear a rat licking ice in here tonight. If you left your phone somewhere else for prayer, as soon as you hear it buzz, as soon as you hear it ding, as soon as you see it light up, you get up, you're at the mountain, but you're not present. You've come to talk with the Lord, but you're not present. You can be in the house of God on a Wednesday night, but not be present. You can hear the word of the Lord go forth and not be present. You can hear a preacher preaching something that you need and start saying, that ain't for me, that's for them. I wonder what would happen sometimes if instead of trying to figure out who the word of God is for, if we would take the word and stuff it away in our spirit and say, I may not be facing that right now, but I'm going to go through a season and God knows what I'm going to need. I'm saying to you tonight that if God has opened up a door for me to come to the mountain, I want to be present when I'm in his presence. I want to be present when I'm there. I want to give God my undivided attention. I don't want to open up his word and be reading Facebook while I'm trying to read his book. I, I want to teach something to you tonight. We know that I've taught for many years in this church the powerful principle of first. It's not just first fruits in your, in your finances. God is a God of first. He wants things first. As a matter of fact, Colossians said of Jesus that he is preeminent above all things. He takes preeminence above everything. Jesus has got to be number one. And I want to tell you this. You are not present in your relationship with God. If you don't have some point in your day that you are completely unavailable to everybody else. I'm not sure if we should clap or say amen. I'm going to say that again slowly because I feel like the Lord has brought us here tonight for this understanding. You are not present with the Lord. If you don't have some portion of your day that you are unavailable to everybody else but him. 
Whether that's first thing in the morning or however you do it, I think you ought to give God first, whether you pray an hour when you get up or you acknowledge his presence and you're grateful when you get up and you thank him for health and life and strength and go about your day and find your prayer closet, that's fine. But I'm saying to you, at some point in your day, you need to push everybody else away, push your phone away. Well, I like reading my Bible on my phone. I understand that. I have an audio Bible that plays forever. I'm always playing audio Bible. But I want to tell you, there's something valuable about picking this up right here. If you, if you do it with your Bible, that's all right. But understand that, that you need to download that Bible. Put your phone on airplane mode if that's what you have to do. Maybe your phone doesn't ring a lot, and if, if so, that's fine. But we've got to learn to give God undivided attention. We expect for God to give us resources from the throne room of heaven, of all the wealth of heaven, while we're communicating to Him what we want from Him. We're also giving others what they want from us. And it makes it very difficult for us to give God preeminence when He's just a part of what's happening in our conversation. We've got to cut out time in our world to spend time with God and to give God alone time, to give God time. Listen, I know, I know all of the beautiful analogies. I know how the word describes it. But listen, I know we're the bride of Christ, but we are not yet consummated in this marriage. We have not consummated this marriage. We are his solely and his by ourselves, but we're still dating him. We've sold ourselves out to him. And I want him to desire to be with me. I want to call on him so much that he misses my voice when he does not hear it. I want to call on the Lord. Oh, God, help me tonight. I want my voice to be present in the ears of God on a daily basis. So much so that the Lord, when he looks down in the earth, he said, I can't take him yet because I still need his voice. I can't bring him home yet because I still want to hear from him. Hey, I'm telling you, God finds value in people finding value time in the presence of the Lord Moses your motive absolutely positively matters you are not coming up in this mountain so people can see your face glow you're not coming up in this mountain so that everybody knows that you've been with me you're coming to this mountain because I am going to pour my word that I have written into your spirit. And I don't want you bringing your arguments with Miriam up here. I don't want you bringing your fusses with Aaron up here. I don't want you worrying about the promised land. They're not ready for the promised land anyway. I don't want you worrying about tomorrow. I don't want you worrying about yesterday. I want you present in the present. I want you here with me right now. And when I talk to you, Moses, I want you to hear every word that I say because you son are going to be the mouthpiece and what I'm going to inscribe on that tablet and what I'm going to inscribe on your heart I cannot afford for you to misinterpret my voice if Moses gets it wrong on the mountain then we've still got it wrong in the book today You can say whatever you want to, but this one divine encounter with God could have changed all of history if Moses was not present. How many times has God called us 
into a place of his presence only to find out that we desire for people to think we've been there. But we weren't really present. I began to read through the word of God searching for times that people would get lost in the spirit and, and I'm, I'm going to have to teach just a little bit tonight to you because I, I, I think this is an element we cannot afford to lose and we can't afford to miss in our lives. Listen, we're never going to get lost in the presence of God if we're always lost in our own world. If, if I'm always sinking because I'm so heavy. Things that I bring on myself. Intoxicated with my own world. I'm constantly sinking. There is something that the modern day church, if we're not careful, we're going we're to absolutely lose. And I'm telling you, this is not only essential to our identity, it formed our identity and who we are in waiting. This is something you don't hear very often anymore. Waiting in the spirit. Waiting on the Lord. Taking time to slow our lives down and wait on him. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Pastor, I don't know why I feel so weak all the time. Well, they that wait on the Lord shall Renew their strength. Why am I always so weak? Because you're not waiting. You're in a hurry. I've, I've, I've been guilty throughout my life of running in to grab a quick workout. What do you mean? I mean, I didn't go in and work out to failure. I didn't go in and hit it as hard as I could hit it. I ran in and hit a few things just enough to maybe make me a little bit sore and ran out. But you know what? I pay the price in that later. It's like... Was I there? Yeah, I was there, but did I hit it hard? No, I didn't hit it hard. You might be able to get by with that in the gym for a little while, but you're not going to get by with that in a prayer room. Well, I, I, I didn't really hit it hard today. I just kind of, I just stopped by. I just, I just went in. But none of the other variables in our lives change. We still work 40 to 60. We've always got time to take the time to do the things that we want to do. But sometimes you've got to reach back in your old flesh and grab it by the nap of the neck. Pick it up when you're tired in the morning and don't want to get up. And say, you old rotten flesh, you're going to pray today. Sometimes you've got to take your fast day. When you know it's your fast day, but your neighbor didn't, so they brought you fresh donuts. The devil is a liar. You've heard me laugh about it, but there's so much truth to it. I'm telling you, you want, you want friends and family to cook for you, start a seven-day fast. Just as sure as you start fasting, somebody's going to call and say, I've had you on my mind. Tell your wife, don't you cook a thing. I'm bringing supper by tonight. Like I've only been your pastor for ten years. Don't ever hesitate. The Lord lays that on your heart. Because I do have a good freezer. I'm telling you, when you try to tap in with God, 
There's always going to be winds that are swirling around you. But the only way, some, some have asked, you know, Brother St. Clair, how do you, how, how, what, what's your study habits? It'd probably shock you. But I, I got a serious problem and maybe I'm a million miles off. But I got a serious problem with a guy that'll sit down and read for eight hours to get 45 minutes to preach and pray for 30. If we don't have enticing words of men's wisdom at all, we had better have demonstration and power. We have got to be a generation that gets back to waiting on the Lord. We can't flow in the gifts of the Spirit while we're flowing in gifts of carnality. We need absolutely to be intoxicated, inebriated, drunk, as many words as you can find. We've got to get back to getting intoxicated in the power of the Holy Ghost. I wonder how long it's been since you've been in a service, whether it's a camp meeting, a conference, Sunday night, whatever it is, that you've seen somebody drunk in the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to say this tonight. And please understand, I don't mean this to be arrogant in any way. But it's not because the preaching's any less powerful than it used to be. Or the music's any different than it used to be. It may be a different rhythm than what you're used to. But the power of God is absolutely the same. I'm going to tell you what it is. We are distracted people. We live distracted lives. We are intoxicated with our own world. We can sit in the middle of church and hear an eternal word come from heaven and change the baseball game while the preacher's preaching. There's something wrong with us. I'm telling you right now, if we're checking stocks on our phone while the word of God is going forth, I'm not going to be shocked if God don't crash our account. Lord, help us. You ought to try to preach Super Bowl Sunday with a bunch of carnal-minded people around. Come off the platform, soaking wet, drenched, hair dripping with sweat. Somebody say, Pastor, did you see who won? No. No, I didn't. Sorry. I don't know if you noticed or not, but I can't hardly talk. I've been screaming for an hour. Listen, I want my kids to groan in the Holy Ghost. I want my children, I want your children to learn the value of what it means to lay in an altar. Hey, praise God. I, I want the ushers having to leave because it's getting so late, but we're sitting waiting on our children that are laying around in the altar speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Dear God, we got to get locked in with God, but it's not going to happen if we're not present. Got to be present. Can, can, can I just talk to you right now? I thank God that I'm your pastor, but pastoring's hard sometimes when, when you got to say things that you know people don't like in their flesh. But when the kingdom of God things become optional in your life, call it whatever you want. It's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, prayer. If it becomes optional in your life, what do you think it's going to be in your children's life? If the house of God is optional for you, which services you're going to attend... You can count on it with your kids and your grandkids. It'll be a miracle if your kids come to a service a week. It'll be a miracle if your grandkids show up at all. 
We've got to place an emphasis and priority on being present. I got to be. I got to be. I don't care what I got to cancel. I don't care. Listen, I had a young man in this church come to me just the other night. He, had a, he asked for a meeting with me the other night. We sat down in the office. I said, what's on your mind? Young man, got a family of his own. I said, what's on your mind, brother? He said, listen. I went. He said, I was at work the other night. And he said, I, I just got overwhelmed. And he said, I went to HR. And he said, I walked up to him. And, and they said, what can we do for you? He said, I, I'm not quoting him exactly verbatim, I'm sure. But he would just relayed this to me. He said, I'm sick of working Sundays. They said, excuse me? He said, I said, I'm sick of working Sundays. They said, well, what do you mean? And he began to relate to them. I'm a child of God. I want to be in the house of God. I don't want to be working while my family's sitting in the house of God. That's what he said. And they said, they said to him, they said, well, listen, we don't face this real often. But we're going to take this to whoever we got to take it to. And we're going to talk to him. He sent me a picture the other night of the letter that had come from apparently the, the union representative or whatever through their HR department and said, for the next six months, you're excused on every single schedule. You do not have to work on Sundays for six months. They said, do you know that by giving up Sunday, you're giving up a day's worth of pay? He said, I realize I'm giving up a day's worth of pay, but I can afford it more than I can afford to not be in church. I applaud precious young men that will make up in their mind that they'd rather be present with God than they would to make an extra day's wages. I'm not preaching that people that have to work, but I'm telling you tonight, it matters what you prioritize in front of your children. It matters what they see. Moses, what I'm fixing to teach you, I need you to be present because you're about to teach some people. Listen, men, hey, let me pick on the men tonight because I is one, all right? Let me pick on you a little bit. Listen, we cannot expect women to carry the load in our families. We cannot expect our kids to just pick it up by reverse osmosis because they rub shoulders with godly people. We have got to learn to not only be present with God, but to be present with our families. Hey, can I just preach while I'm here tonight? For the love of God Almighty, when you sit down at the table, put that stupid phone away and look your wife and kids in the face and talk to them. I, I get so frustrated sometimes when I'm out driving. Every single car you pass on the interstate they're driving with their knee. Driving one hand, looking down, looking up, driving, looking up, look, looking up. I'm like, you are not that important. When I'm, when I'm, on, my, when I'm on my motorcycle, and I pull up by somebody, and they're on their phone, it's all I can do to keep my Holy Ghost. I want, to, I want to pull right up next to them, rack my pipes real, real loud, and beat on their window and say, put your phone down, dummy. We all think we're so important 
That we got a text every three minutes. I told you the other day during missions conference, I got my report. It was, of course, it was a chaotic week, busy getting everything ready and me driving everybody around here crazy because they work hard and I'm bossing them around telling them what to do. Every nine minutes, it said you picked up your phone once every nine minutes. Are we that busy? What would happen in our lives if somebody actually had to leave us a message and we had to get back to them? Does anybody remember the days when you used to rewind people's messages? I remember when my, I remember when my granddad finally got an answering machine. He had to get rid of the rotary phone. For the church to have have an uh, answering machine. He had a black rotary phone. He must have got that in 68 when he built the building, I'm assuming. And it stayed down there almost till that became my office. If you know what that phone looks like, it's probably because you stared at it while he was ripping your hide. <laughs> I'm telling you folks, listen. We can't lose getting lost in God. We got to figure out what it takes. I, if you don't normally come here, I don't want you thinking that I mean, but I, I got to help some people. Listen, prayer meeting, we got to shift some things in prayer meeting. Got 15 praying, 74 watching. Something's something's got to happen. That's why last week I took the microphone for three minutes, pulled everybody into corporate prayer. Did you see what happened? The Holy Ghost moved. Why? Because you got present. I I have said this for many years, and I believe this. And if it offends you, I, I don't mean to offend anybody. I'm just saying the true core and nucleus of a church is not just who shows up on Sunday morning or Sunday night. It's people that are in the trenches in prayer, locked in with God. That doesn't mean you're not included. It just means you may not be present. This is where I want our prayer meetings in this church to be the place that when people are looking for answers, they're more apt to stop by here at a prayer meeting than they would a Sunday night church service. Where there's no hype, there's no drums, there's no bass, there's nobody screaming, preaching, hollering. It's somebody that's so hungry. I wonder sometimes where the weepers and the wailers have gone. Where are those that get lost and intercede in the spirit? I know there's probably not, I don't know, man, Brother McLean, there may not be 15 people here that would even know what I'm talking about when... Tony got praying downstairs in the basement. He had a, a partial plate. He got praying real hard, interceding. And somehow he lifted up his partial plate while he was praying. He sucked in deep air and his partial plate got stuck in, the, in his throat. If you, if you were to go, I don't know this very day. She may have changed or fixed it. I highly doubt it. But I was told by someone very intimately connected with Sister Vesta Mangan. 
If you were to walk into the room that she prays in her house every day, that in the, in the same corner she prays in that same spot, and she prays at the church as well. But if you were to walk into that room where she prays in her, her house every day, that in the corner of that room, the drywall in that corner, the paint has peeled and the drywall is exposed. Now, this may gross you out, but it's powerful to me from her sitting in that corner praying and the vapors of her, of her saliva and her, her voice and her breath praying in that corner for hours and hours and hours have literally peeled the paint off the wall. Well, but I mean, she's old, Pastor St. Clair. She's got way more time than I've got. But she was young. <laughs> now she's old. But I can tell you that at 94 years old, she's still traveling the country, preaching the word of God, and praying hours and hours a day. Why? Because she's present. It matters that we are present. Tomorrow night ought to be the most smoking hot prayer meeting that we've had in a long time. Because somebody's going to come to prayer meeting tomorrow night and say, I want to be present. I, I want to be present. I want God to speak. And I want to speak to him. And I don't want to get up. Whatever happened. Whatever happened. To, this is how I was raised. Okay, so maybe, maybe my mom and dad messed my brain up. Probably did. Whatever happened to the days of if our kids just get so tired because church is going so late, we just let them fall asleep. Anybody here fell asleep at church? I'm not talking about adults either. That's my boy. Anybody here ever fell asleep as a little child in church? Wake up with somebody dragging you out from under the seat. We were preaching in Donovan, Missouri one night. <laughs> My dad, let's see, is he in church yet? Yeah, he probably is, so he's not watching. <laughs> My dad got a little long-winded in the britches, you know. Got preaching, it was long. I had played the drums. I was tired. Altar call was going forever. Somehow, this was in Brother Shepherd that preaches here, Bruce Shepherd. This was in his brother's church. And I'd fallen asleep under the front row of Harold Shepherd's church. They had orange shag carpet and orange pews. And that shag carpet was comfortable. <laughs> Even if it smelled like mildew. <laughs> I don't know that it did. So I, I'm asleep under there and I wake up to the most God-awful sensation that you can imagine. My arm, I felt like somebody was stabbing me. You know, and as a kid, you're like drooling, and you're like. <laughs> and I'm asleep, and my right arm, I'm, I, I'm like, am I going to hell because I fell asleep? What is this? <laughs> what what I do, God? And I woke up, and I wish I knew the guy's name because I'd still pray for him today. This old brother... All I know how to describe to you is he was one of them old guys that came to church in work clothes, had on Dickies britches and black steel toe work boots. And the tremendous feeling 
of enjoyment on my right elbow was his heels of them big old steel toe boots bouncing off of my funny bone and it wasn't funny. I fell asleep so deeply because we were in church 350 days a year. Exhausted, wore out, but having revival. And, and this eats my lunch, okay? We were discussing this last night at supper. People saying we're not going to have as much church as we used to because we need more family time. You need, you need more family time. So we're not going to go to church. We're going to sit at home and turn on a hell box. We're going to turn on some Hollywood-driven agenda that's going to mess our kids' minds up, sit in front of news that's going to have us so depressed. Not going to talk to our kids anyway. We're going to sit on our phone, play words with friends, but we're not going to have church on Sunday night because we need more family time. Hey, I'm going to tell you where I want my family on Sunday. This is my family time. This is where we grow. This is power. I want my kids drunk in the Holy Ghost on Sunday night. I want them to hear a choir sing. Brother St. Clair, people like you are a danger. Because you're going to get so spiritually minded, you're no earthly good. There's probably no danger in that. We get so, oh God, those people, they're so heavenly. No, they're not. They're not so heavenly minded. They're of no earthly good. I, that's not a risk for any of us, folks. It's not. There's, there's no risk of us in the end time church being so spiritual that we, we have no relevance to this world. I'm telling you, we've got to figure out a way. Come up on the mountain and be there. When God starts speaking, we've got to be there. When God opens up his mouth, I want to be there. I was in the book of Revelation, and I, I got to move quickly to get where we're going tonight. I'm almost finished. I was in the book of Revelation, 17th chapter. Now, if you'll give me just five minutes to lay some groundwork right here for you. Revelation is very interesting because it's, by most people, it's considered to be like, have the most eschatological value of any book in the Bible. When they look at it, it's like, this is, man, this revelation is about the end time, the mark of the beast, and all. Those are all things that are going on while the revelation of Jesus is being presented. John did not write the revelation of the end time, he wrote the revelation of Jesus. And Jesus is being revealed in the middle of this end time debacle. With all this chaos and debauchery. And I'm not against end times. I preach it. I love it. I like to hear some people do it. I really love to hear preachers fight over it. Because they're 100% sure that Jesus is coming pre-trib. And the other guys 100% sure. I'm telling you, you're, you are lost. 
If you don't know that he's coming post-trib, oh God, I hope he don't. But if he does, I better know who he is. Because John opens this up. Revelation, he opens it up. In Revelation 1, verse 1, let's just go there together real quick. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave to him. To who? To John. To show unto his servants. What This sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Moses, I'm going to teach you things for you to teach people things. He's on Patmos. God gives him revelation to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And of all things that he saw, blesses he that readeth and they that hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before, not theirs, his. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him and all kindred of the earth shall well because of him even so. Amen. And your Bible ought to have some red letters if you've got a red letter edition. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. Who is that? Well, the fourth verse said, John, the seven churches which are in Asia, grace unto you and peace from him, which is, which was and which is to come. So it's the same guy talking. Which was, which is. And is to come the Almighty. There's no, there's no other Almighty. There's only one Almighty. He's the one that was. He's the one that is. And the one that is to come. He is the Almighty. This is the context of where John is. He's in the spirit on the Lord's day. Dear God, by verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 10, he's in the spirit on the Lord's day and he hears a voice. It is the voice that came from heaven. It is the voice of the Almighty. It is the voice of the Lord speaking to him. By the fourth chapter, John is in the spirit and he sees a throne. All kinds of crazy chaos is erupting as he looks into the third dimension and sees things that are not of the earth earthing. He's caught up in the spirit. He's in the mountain of God. God's speaking to him. The word of the Lord's going for him. Lord, there's seven angels. Woo! Seven churches. God, look at that. Whoa, seven heads, ten horns, wounded head. Whoa! Would you look at that? Oh, empires. People. Oh. 
I'm in the spirit. On the Lord's day, God Almighty speaking to me. I've heard his voice. I've seen his presence. I've seen the throne and he that sat on. I've seen it. I'm in his presence. This is where I want to be. Verse chapter 17. There came one of the seven angels. Oh, my God. Seven angels. One of the seven vials. Somebody say seven vials. And he talked with me. Think about this. I'm telling this joker is in the spirit. I'm in the spirit. Seven angels. Not just seven, not just any seven. The seven that had seven vials. I'm talking about he's deep. And he said this. Heaven's messenger said, watch this. Come hither. I want to show you something. Come on, let me talk to him. Let me show you. I will show you the judgment of the great whore that setteth on many waters. Oh, John, surely you're ready to handle this because you're in the spirit. Now you got one of the seven angels over here talking to you. But he's going to show you the judgment that's going to come on the great whore to whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Now his wheels start spinning. The inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now verse 3. I want you to watch this very closely. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. Are you ready for this, John? And I saw a woman. You're in the spirit, John. You've been talking to God. God's been talking to you. You've been seeing angels, John. You've seen the vials. You've seen, you've seen it, John. But I saw a woman set upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads. Somebody say deep things. Ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet collar and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Listen, he's in the spirit. But now he's in the presence of filthiness and Fornication upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abomination of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk on the blood of the saints with the blood of martyrs. Now it's filthy. This is filthy. These are the martyrs of Jesus Christ. Laid down their lives. John, you're in the spirit, son. Stay right here. You're in the spirit. Stay. I'm, I'm going to try to show you some things. I need you to be ready, John. Look at this. See this woman right here. I saw Yeah, I saw her. Yeah, I, I saw her. She's drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wasn't present. Because when I looked at her, I wondered with great admiration. Stay with me, church. In the spirit. On the Lord's day. Seven angels. Seven vials. Seven heads. Ten horns. Seven candlesticks. Seven churches. And this woman comes riding by. And John said, Whoa. Look at her. There's still an angel standing here, John. 
There's, there's still heaven. Hey, John, hey, heaven's, heaven's standing here trying to talk to you. My word. I looked at her and I wondered, oh, if I could just tell you the depth of these words in the, the context of the Greek language. It's hard to describe what wondering with admiration. It's like the greatest wonder that you could imagine. In the presence of God, in the spirit on the Lord's day. But Babylon comes by. He's no longer present. He's in the mount of God. But when Babylon comes by, she caught his attention. And he started looking. And he wasn't satisfied to just look now. He begins to admire her. But verse 7, heaven opens up its mouth again. It's like, I wasn't there, obviously. But the way my mind wanders, I just, it's like I saw John just looking at this woman riding by. It's like the angel goes, hey, what are you doing? Why? Did you marvel? John, I need you present. I'm getting ready to show you some things that are going to happen, son. And she is not the prime time show of the end time. John, this is not the revelation. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right here. This is not the revelation of Babylon, John. And this is not the revelation of the Antichrist, John. This is not the revelation of the man of sin, John. This is not the revelation of the son of perdition, John. This is the revelation of Jesus. Now get your eyes back over here and let me talk to you. I brought you here to show you what you're up against. And that's the spirit. It's the spirit that wants to keep you from being present in this moment. If you let Babylon distract you, it'll distract you. If you let Babylon into your prayer closet... It'll keep you out of your prayer closet. If you let Babylon into your marriage. Oh God. It'll keep your marriage from being holy and sanctified. If you let Babylon in your church. Your church will be so distracted. That we won't see anything God's doing. Listen. My eyes and I thank the Lord for it. And I'm going to keep studying it. But my eyes are not looking for the Antichrist. My eyes are looking for the Christ. And to be honest, I don't care if the Antichrist comes before the Lord or if he comes after the rapture or what, if I got to face him in a tribute, it don't matter. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ because he is still a wonder to me. When he comes back, when he comes back, I want to be present. I close with this. John got in spirit in chapter 1 and he heard a voice that was assuring him, you're not alone, son, I'm with you. It was so powerful. The fourth chapter, the Lord shows him a throne. The 17th chapter, the Lord showed him what he was up against when he saw that woman. This is what you're fighting, John. You can't be in the spirit enough that she's not distracting, so quit looking. Don't be marveling. But in chapter 21, 
And verse number 10, John got it corrected. He got back in alignment. And God carries him away again. But in 21 and 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me. He showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even likened to a jasper stone. He goes into, the wall was great and high, 12 gates, 12 angels, names written thereon, east three gates, west three gates, north three gates, south three gates. John? If you can stay present when Babylon comes, I'm going to carry you away again. But the next time, I'm going to show you the great city. John, if you can outlive the distractions of Babylon and stay present, you will see that city whose builder and maker is God. Let us stand, Father, your word. Is so rich. There is nothing like your presence. And I'm asking you tonight. Sweet holy lamb of God. Sweet spirit of the living God. To begin to move through this congregation right now. Lord on hungry hearts. God if that spirit of distraction. Has been swaying us from the mountaintop experience. Where you're speaking to us God. I pray that you'd move on somebody right now. Come on. If you're here tonight, I know I don't even have to say this, but if you're here tonight and want to come forward, you know these altars are open. God, speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds tonight. We cannot afford to get distracted in chaos because I'm looking for that city. I pray tonight, God, you'd give me the wisdom to look the other way. Let me see what you want me to see about Babylon and marvel nonetheless. No more. It's over. You showed her to me. I saw her. Now I know what I'm up against. I got to get focused on that city again. Oh. If you're easily distracted, you hadn't been with God. Man, I feel him. You hadn't been with God like you need to be. I'm asking you to just stretch your faith right now. Reach your hands up. Let's just turn this place into an altar of repentance right now. Let's begin to repent. God, I know I haven't given you the time that I need to give you. God, I know I haven't spent the time with you that I need to spend with you, Lord. Oh, God, that's why she's so appealing when she comes riding by. And every time she comes by, Lord, i got to look again. Lord, you've already shown me what I need to see about Babylon. Help me to keep my eyes focused looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. Oh, I wish somebody would cry out to the Lord tonight. God, don't let Pentecost be distracted right now. Don't let us as the end time church get distracted, God. Don't let us get our minds on the wrong things, Lord. We may have the finest buildings, Father. We may have the finest buildings and the finest equipment that we've ever had, Lord. We've been made fat. On the richness of your goodness, God. But if we haven't been present with you, there is no power in that meeting. Teach us the power of being present. Teach us the power of being with you. 
Somebody cry out to the Lord tonight. Come on, help me in this place. Oh, God. Forgive us, Lord, for being in your presence but not being present. Forgive us, God, for making your kingdom optional while everything else, it has to be done. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Oh, God, let us give you preeminence in all things, for you are preeminent. You're above all things, before all things, and by you all things consist, visible and invisible. Oh, help us tonight, God. Forgive us of our idolatrous ways, Lord. Forgive us of our idolatrous ways as we put things before your kingdom. Teach us to fall in love with you so much, God, that when Babylon comes riding by in our family, we don't, our kids will never notice because we're so focused on the throne. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Could we lift our hands all across the room tonight? Let's just submit to the Lord one more time. Would you do that in your own way? Just tell the Lord tonight. God, I need you more than I need the next breath that's coming to my body. I need you more, God, than I need a fat check. I need you more, God, than I need a bigger house. I need you, God, more than I need a brand new car. I need you, I need you, I need you. It's not about what you can give me, Lord. It's about what you're imparting to me in these moments where I could be with you but not be present. 